Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, one of the great temptations in our postmodern culture is to see Jesus as one intriguing offer among many on the smorgasbord of religious options. One fascinating teacher among many. And that's typical of our time, as I say. You know, we like choices. We go to the grocery store and you have all these choices of salad dressing and all these choices of breakfast cereal. So on the religious smorgasbord, there's all these different things. And oh yeah, there's Jesus. He's, he's good and interesting, but a lot of other people are too. However, at the heart of the gospel is the claim that Jesus is everything that he is the be-all and the end-all, the one for whom a totalizing decision has to be made. And I'm not going to back off of this. I know it's an unpopular view. It sounds um, arrogant, overbearing, uh, non-ecumenical, etc., but it's just unavoidable. Jesus himself says, either you're with me or you're against me. Either you gather with me or you scatter. We can't be indifferent to him. That's the point, and that's, it's the hard point of Christianity. I, I get that. I know why people struggle with it. Either you give your whole life to Jesus or, or you should reject him. You can't be neutral about him, wishy-washy about him. And from this has come a theme in the Christian spiritual tradition, namely the theme of detachment and clarification of motive. Now, what am I talking about? I mean, when Jesus is the unambiguous center of your life, then everything else finds its place around him and in relation to him. And anything that would assert itself and take his central position must be resisted wholeheartedly as an idol and a temptation. There's the principle. Jesus is the center. He's the everything. Now, around that center, arrange the holier life. But watch it. Watch it when something or someone else wants to take his position, that has to be resisted. Now, the gospel for today, I think, is a really good exemplification of this principle. We're going to watch as Jesus clarifies for his disciples how a number of worldly goods fall away once he's recognized as Lord. And maybe I should, I should nuance it a little bit. They don't fall away, meaning that they have no, no value. They do not take central place. 
they find their value in relation to him. And he's got to clarify this for the disciples. So, we're walking with Jesus and his disciples as they make their way to Jerusalem. And I'm going to come back to that at the end. The fact that they're walking to Jerusalem is super important. They're passing through Samaria, so they're going from north to south. And remember, I said to you before, it's interesting, a lot of pious Jews would go around Samaria because it was considered unclean. But Jesus, he goes right into Samaria. So they're passing through Samaria, and they're refused hospitality. Why? Because their destination is Jerusalem, and the Samaritans didn't like Jerusalem. Bothersome? Yeah. Stupid? Yeah. Racist? Yeah. It's all those things. The fact that the Samaritans are reacting so negatively. Imagine, like, you know, you're, you're journeying, you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're tired, and you just want a place to rest, and they won't let you? I mean, I get it how the disciples would be annoyed. So, James and John... Remember, they're called the sons of thunder. And we see a little bit, a hint of that. Why? I don't know why we picture John always as kind of this really demure, kind of effeminate-looking figure. Uh, sons of thunder, they, they sound like they're pretty strong figures. And so they cry out, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? Again, you're hungry, you're tired, you're thirsty, and people are being obnoxious to you. So they're mad, and they, they want Jesus to punish them. And again, can you hear echoes of this cry up and down the ages? Whenever people have been unjustly treated or excluded or looked down upon, they, naturally enough, have feelings of hatred, a desire to get back. Correctly enough, they'll say that their family or their race or their country was offended, and so, with justification, they react. But what's Jesus' response? The Bible says he turns only to rebuke them. Now, why, why, why? Because following him and his way of love and nonviolence, listen now, is more important than race or country or ethnic group or personal feelings. Let me say it again. Following him, giving your life to him, is more important than race, country, ethnic group, personal feelings. Hey, all these things have been offended. Who are these people? Yeah, they did. And maybe they're jerks. But following Jesus and his way of nonviolence and love is more important than any of those things and more important than your hurt feelings. Okay? As they continue to make their way, a man approaches the Lord and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, that's a good thing to say to Jesus. <laughs> you know, watch it, by the way, in the Gospels when people say, Hey, Lord, I want you to do something for me. Now we're in bad spiritual space, ipso facto. So that's good. I'll follow you wherever you go. That's what a disciple should do. Well, Jesus makes this very laconic remark. Foxes have dens, 
and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now think about this for a second, everybody. One of the things, quite naturally, that we savor is home, is a place to stay, a nest, or if you're a guy, a man cave. <laughs> There's just something uniquely awful about being displaced. You know, many said that the 20th century was the great century of refugees, that more people were, were refugees in the 20th century than ever before. Continues today, doesn't it, with our refugee crisis going on right now. Something about losing your home is uniquely awful. I remember uh, distinctly those times in my life when I was torn away from home base, whether it was when I went off to college for the first time, when I went to uh, Catholic U in Washington, when I went to Paris for my doctoral studies. Most recently, when I came all the way to Los Angeles, California, um, there's something just terrible about those moments of losing your bearings and your home. I remember when I was traveling around Europe as a, as a young guy when I was doing my doctoral work, and I always felt when we got to a new city that I had to find a hotel first. There, there had to be a place where I was going to be staying or I didn't feel comfortable. To this day, I've been doing it a lot recently, but to this day, I hate living out of suitcases. You know, we all want a place to lay our heads. But if Jesus is first in our lives, we can't absolutize this good. We have to be willing to follow him wherever he wants us to go. It has to mean in a certain way that we're homeless. Remember in Bob Dylan's song, uh, Like a Rolling Stone, with no direction home. How does it feel to be on your own, like a complete unknown, with no direction home, like a rolling stone? Well, that's part of it here. I don't have a place to lay my head because I'm following Jesus wherever he goes. And even to be honest with you, that's exactly how I felt. Now it's almost a year ago when I was called out here to be an auxiliary bishop in Los Angeles. I felt like, well, I don't really know where I'm going. I'm leaving everything I know, but I, I just, I got to go. I got to go because he comes first. Now, to still another disciple on the way, Jesus says, follow me. And the man responds, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Well, I mean, then as now, nothing would seem more reasonable. I mean, wouldn't this be the all-trumping excuse? I mean, of course, of course, attend to your father's funeral. You know, if you were asking someone a favor and they said, oh, I'll be happy to do it, but, you know, first I've got to go to my father's funeral. Well, I mean, of course. What could be more important, especially in a hyper-family-centric culture like that of biblical Israel? But Jesus answers with a response that still staggers us. And I'd like you to spend a little time with that in your prayer. Let the dead bury their dead. I mean, talk about a slap in the face. His father's just died, and all he's asking is, can I stay and bury him? And that's the response he gets? I mean, what? This is the most insensitive answer you could imagine. 
how could he be so morally obtuse? It seems to violate every sense of ethics and decorum that we have. And be honest, if you heard that from a religious teacher, wouldn't you be tempted to say, well, the heck with you, buddy, I'm leaving you. Wouldn't you say, this is just crazy. Here's the point. Jesus hasn't one little thing against family obligations, but he will insist that our relationship to him is more important than even that most sacred of worldly obligations. Even this most precious thing must fall away if we are to make him absolutely first. Notice, please, the journey they're making is toward Jerusalem, which means the cross. That moment when Jesus himself will let go of absolutely everything in following the will of his Father. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. So here's the question, everybody. In this gospel, man, is it a hard gospel. Are we willing truly and completely to walk with him? truly and completely in every way, to let all worldly goods fall aside to follow him? That's the question. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.